0: Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. You're still waiting on a handout, just raise your hand, they'll get you one. A few more up here, guys. All right, anyone else need one tonight? All right, we're set to go. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through 24 is where we're going to be this evening. Let's look in God's Word, and then we're going to pray and dive into what God has for us. The Bible says this, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, states in verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Before I read the next verses, let's just stop there and make a quick comment. Basically, what Paul just described are our BC days. So if you're in Christ tonight, uh, your BC days are in the past, before Christ. So he just described what our lives look like before we came to know the Lord Jesus. Now, I got saved at the age of five. So, there was only so much of verse 17 and 19 that I participated in by the age of five, but it very much describes the fact that I was blind to the gospel, I was blind to my need, I was ignorant, and I was living for self, even uh, up until that age. So, he's describing lostness. This is what it looks like to not have the spiritual life of God, to not have the indwelling Holy Spirit, to not be born again. But he now says, now that you're in Christ, because he's writing to Christians, he says, Christian, in verse 20, you've not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, therefore that you should put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God, and true righteousness and holiness. So he looks at us and says, here's who you once were, here's who you now are, here's how you should now live. The Victorious Christian Life. The title of the message tonight is, is How Do I Walk in Daily Revival? Now, we kicked off Sunday morning by talking about revival. We began talking about how we meet with Jesus daily, which is the core of the Christian life. We also looked in God's Word at the times that the psalmist uses the word revive and our need for revival. And when there is a revival, where does God revive us? We looked at that on Sunday morning. Sunday night, we talked about reviving prayer. So revived victorious Christian lives are lives of prayer. On Monday night, we looked at demolishing strongholds. And how we get to the sin beneath the sin so that we can walk in victory and demolish the strongholds by the grace of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And then last night, I just gave you all the sermons. Let's see if you remember what last night's sermon was about. What was it? Spiritual spiritual amnesia, which is what? What was the whole topic last night? Yeah, every time we sin, we forget some pretty important truths. Every time we sin, we forget the judgment seat of Christ. Every time we sin, we forget that we're in the gospel and that we're dead to the power of sin. Uh, Not that we're dead to the power of sin, that we've been set free, free. Yeah, we are dead to the power of sin. And we've been set free from the power of sin. We talked about that last night. We talked about how every time we sin, we forget the goodness of God. So last night we looked at these things. So notice what's happening. We see our need for revival, and now we're beginning to look at sin in our life and say, okay, I need that out. But now how do I walk in victory two weeks from now? How do I walk in victory six months from now? How am I going to walk in victory 10 years from now? Now as badly as we all desire to see a national revival of God's people and the American church and a revival of the church at large, while we're waiting on that, I don't have to wait on that to happen for me to walk in personal revival. So you may say, man, I'm really burdened about my church, or I'm really burdened about this group of Christians, or I'm really discouraged that this group of Christians doesn't seem to care anything about the Lord. You know, sometimes we look around at God's people and we can get discouraged, or we get discouraged with one another. I just want to tell you something. First, we've never been told to look at one another. We've been told to fix our eyes on Jesus. And secondly, just because this guy and this lady are not walking revival doesn't give me an excuse not to walk in revival. The word revival means to live again and to keep being filled with that life. That's what the word revival means, to live again, to be filled with the Spirit of God and live the not I but Christ life, that's Galatians 2.20, moment by moment. Revival, live again. You see, revival is not necessarily some great big emotional experience, though that doesn't mean it's not absent of emotion. Revival isn't necessarily the church is packed out and souls are getting saved every night, even though we love to see that. But in my personal, individual walk with Christ, I can have daily revival all day long. In fact, let me just suggest this to you. Sometimes we look at revival and a victorious Christian life as it's impossible. What is impossible with man, but all things are possible with God. And the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has made it possible for you and I, moment by moment. There is no verse in the Bible that says after you get saved that you can't live victorious. In fact, the Bible says quite the opposite. The Bible says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us so. We are overcomers. And that if we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you and I, no matter how old we are, or no matter what situation we find ourselves in, or how young we are in Christ, we can live the victorious Christian life. We can live again and keep living as we're filled with the Spirit. There on your handout, I gave you a quote by Anne Graham Lotz, and I love this quote because I just think it it nails it. She said, revival is Jesus in you, Jesus around you. Jesus through you, Jesus under you, Jesus over you, Jesus before you, and Jesus behind you. Revival is just Jesus. Jesus on your mind, Jesus filling your heart, Jesus overflowing from your lips. That's revival. Because He is life. And so when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us by grace through faith, and then we are born again, The Holy Spirit gives us new life. In fact, the Bible many times, even though the Holy Spirit is a distinct person in the Trinity, he's also synonymous as being called the Spirit of Christ. So when the Holy Spirit is allowed to fill you and to control you, Christ is manifested through your life. And that is revival. When people see Jesus living his life in and through you by the person of the Holy Spirit, you're walking in revival. You and I should be walking billboards every day of the Lord Jesus Christ as He lives His life through us. I know I forget several years ago, we were hosting a conference at our church. It was called a prayer advance, and for three days, uh, men got together, 800 men, and I think several of you have been to the prayer advance, and uh, 800 men get together to pray and to be saturated with God's Word. Well, just like God is working on many of your teenagers this week, and we're hearing some good reports, the same thing happened at this particular prayer advance. And I will forget, we had gone all morning. We started in the morning, and we went all day long through the evening hearing God's Word and praying, and God was working. And that night, around 9 o'clock, the men divided up with their churches, and they got all over campus, and they prayed for another hour. So now it's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Well, the youth pastor had taken the teenagers over to the youth center, and that's where they were having their prayer meeting. Well, my son was in seventh or eighth grade at the time, and I never forget, I finished praying with the group of men that I was with, and it was probably 10.30, 10.45, and I said, uh, hey, I'm going to see you guys, we're going to head home, we've got another big day tomorrow at the prayer advance, I'm going to go over and pick up my son. And I never forget, I drove over to the student center, and I walked into the youth house, and I honestly thought that some of the youth were laughing out loud. And I thought, oh, they're, they're done praying and now they're just all just kind of joking around. And I, all of a sudden, with my big preacher mouth, about walked in the living room and yelled out for my son and, or said, hey, how you guys doing? And right before I did, something caught me and I realized, they're not laughing. They're weeping. And I never will forget what I saw. I walked in, and there all over the floor were these 7th and 8th grade boys. Now, I don't want to pick on any of the teenagers in here, but some people, you know, they say when you're a teenager that, um, one, that, that is not a very pleasant time of life. Uh, middle school is not a very fun time. And, and most of the time, middle schoolers aren't known for what I witnessed there in the living room. I looked down, and there are 7th and 8th grade boys on their hands and knees, and what I thought was laughing out loud was literally wailing they weren't just crying they were wailing and i thought what is going on and i stopped and i began to listen and i will forget what i heard there were about 12 of them they were confessing every sin that every one of them had committed that could possibly come to their mind and they were calling these sins out to god And then when they got done, because I'm just standing there, I mean, I stood there for like another 40 minutes. It was like 10.45. This went on to like 11.45. I stood there, and after they exhausted themselves in confessing every sin that came to their mind, they started confessing the sins of their parents. That was great. I was waiting to see what my son was going to come up with. You know, it went something like this. Dad, Mom's perfect. You know, I mean, Father, you know Mom's perfect. Dad's not. Let's get, you know... They started confessing the sins of their parents and stuff that was going on at home. And I'm like, wow. And then it didn't stop there. They started confessing the sins of our church. I mean, they were laying it out. And this went on for an hour and they wouldn't stop crying. These 7th and 8th grade boys, I mean, usually 7th grade boys are known for peer pressure. Not only am I not going to stand up for Christ in front of you, I'm not about to cry about spiritual things in front of you. They are wailing, confessing the sins of everything they can think of. Well, all by, about that time, some of their other dads started walking in and they were laughing and talking because it, it never even registered on any of our minds that our sons would still be praying at 11.45 at night. So some of the dads started walking in and I'm like, shh, they're like, what? I'm like, listen. And the dad started peeking around and looking in the living room. They're like, What is going on? I'm like, If I told you, first of all, you don't want me to tell you because I've just heard about what some of y'all have been doing at home. <laughs> Finally, those boys finished. They're youth leaders. No one had a dry eye. And I never forget, I looked at my son and we walked out to the car and I said, I said, Garrett, what happened? He said, Dad, all I can tell you is this I'm clean. I said, well, praise the Lord for that. I said, what else happened? He said, Dad, we prayed all day long with these men. We heard God's word. And tonight we just got in here and I don't know what happened. But we just decided to let God take over. And every one of us just got clean. And he said, Dad, I haven't felt this good and I don't know how long. And then he said this. He said, and Dad... Once we got clean, we asked God for some big stuff. And he said, Dad, I mean, he started telling me some stuff he asked God for, and I was like, whew. And he said, and Dad, he's going to do it. And then he said this, and Dad, if he doesn't do it, it's okay. I'm clean. Well, I'm like, man, praise the Lord. I pull up in the driveway, it's about midnight, we go to bed, we get up the next morning, he gets up. You ever talk to a middle schooler in the morning? It's wonderful. He gets up, and I'm thinking, you know, he'll kind of probably be off this this morning. He got up, walked in the kitchen. I said, how are you doing this morning, son? He goes, still clean. And you know what happened that next week? I know of at least four or five huge things that those boys prayed for that came to fruition within days. One of them was a leader in our church who He got under such conviction by those boys that he needed to get some things right with the other leaders of our church. So he showed up in our elders meeting that week and said, I just need to get some things right with y'all that happened years ago. (laughs) And you say, why are you telling that story? Revival happened. Those guys had Jesus controlling them, filling them, coming out of them because they were clean. And you and I don't have to wait one time a year to go to a three-day prayer advance, or we don't have to wait for some special occasion to live the victorious Christian life. In fact, there's not one verse in the Bible that says, wait once a year to have revival. In fact, when Jesus is talking to the seven churches there in Revelation, every one of them that's not walking in revival, he rebukes them and says, get with the program. So how do you walk in daily victory? How does daily revival occur in one's life? Well, notice what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. He says, But Christian, you put off the former things. This is not how you live anymore. You're now new creations. And he tells us in verse 20, You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. Here's the first thing I want you to see tonight, and just some simple truths. And, 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 and I, by the way, I've never preached this sermon before. I may have preached aspects of it, but I put it together this morning. Uh, what I'm sharing with you tonight is so simple. But if one of my children walked up to me and said, Dad, how can I live victorious daily? I would hand them what I've given you tonight. This is so true. It's so tried. It's so tested. It's so Bible. Here's the first thing Paul tells us. If you're going to live in daily revival, you've got to expose yourself to the truth of Jesus Christ. You've got to expose yourself to the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what he says. He says, Christian, you've learned Christ. You've heard him. And and I kind of find this interesting. He basically tells all of us here in this passage, and Jesus has taught you. Do you see that? He didn't just say some preacher taught you. He said, if you have heard him, and he says, and if he has taught you. So you know what that's telling us? Whether it's your pastor or whether it's you sitting quietly on your couch with an open Bible, anytime you open up the living word, Jesus Christ, who is the word, by the power of the Spirit, wants to teach you about himself. I love what the disciples on the road to Emmaus said after the resurrection. This gets me every time. The disciples, after the resurrection, they're, they're walking um, on these uh, streets, heading down to Emmaus, on uh, the Emmaus Road, and Jesus appears to them, but they don't know it's him because their eyes are blinded and they don't realize it's the resurrected Christ. And he hears them talking about all that's happened over Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So basically, these guys are going, man, have you heard what's going on around town? I mean, the Messiah died on Friday, uh, and now they're saying that he rose again, and they have seen him, and he didn't just rise again, but people got up out of the tombs and started walking around. I mean, this is crazy. And Jesus walks up and says, hey, what you fellas talking about? And basically, they turned and looked at him and said, have you not been watching the news? I mean, it would almost be like one of us talking about what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. Everybody's like, where have you been for the past week and a half? And then the Bible says this. Jesus looked at them, and he began to explain everything in the Old Testament about himself from the prophets and uh, throughout the law. And as he took the word of God and revealed about himself, he then unblinded their eyes, and they saw that it was the resurrected Christ, and then he disappeared. Now, here's the fun part. They went home for dinner, and instead of roasting the pastor, here's what they did. Because that's what we usually do on Sunday lunch. Here's what I got out of church, is I didn't get out of church, and I wish pastor would do this by the way. So here's what they did. After their preacher got done preaching to them, they went home at dinner, and here's what they said. Did not our hearts burn within us while he spoke the Word of God to us and showed us the Word of God about himself? I love that. A.W. Tozer says, we're the Christians with the burning hearts. So here's what Paul says. He says, hey Christian, Christ has taught you. If you're in Christ, every time you open up His Word, He is the Word. (laughs) He's the eternal Word. And your copy of the Word of God, the Word of God is His special revelation, which is true for all people in all places at all times. It's God's forever settled Word. And Jesus Christ has taught you by His Spirit who He is by His Word. So if you're going to walk in daily victory, you have to keep exposing yourself to the One who saved you and keep exposing yourself to Him. Now, here's why I say this, you would think this is a given, but can I just say something real quick? And again, sometimes I, 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 there's some things I could say as a pastor and get by with it. There's other times I couldn't, but now that I'm evangelist, you just kind of say it and go on. Can I just say this? Cause I don't know any of you. So it's not like I'm out to get anybody. I can just, I just say this pre COVID in the middle of COVID post COVID, we've not gotten permission to quit being the church. And the Bible says we should meet all the more as we see the day approaching and by the way, COVID, that won't be the last pestilence that hits planet Earth. Have anybody read about the tribulation? There are going to be many more to come. Now, I don't, think we're, I don't think the Christians are going to be here during the tribulation, but that's a matter of theological discussion. But there's more to come. And all I can say is this. No matter what your opinions are on COVID, and I understand that, everybody's got a different situations. That's not even what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, even though when there's physical quarantine, the church has never been given permission to go on quarantine. The gospel is not on quarantine. Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He does not say, Christ will build his church only when his people feel like doing it. Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So here's where I'm heading with this. The devil wants to do everything he can in the American church to get the people of God to stop exposing themselves to the truth of the word of God. You know why we have Wednesday night services or the church used to have Sunday night services and all those services? I did some, I did some background on this, um, I don't know, over the past few years. It always happened after periods of revival. As transportation got better and revival would happen in the American church, the church wanted to meet more. It's as simple as that. But when the church is out of revival, they want to stop meeting. Why? Because they replace it with other things. Now, I know this room just got strangely quiet. And each one is going to have to follow the Lord and, and, and follow their own convictions. I can just tell you this, though. I have an enemy that wants me out of the Bible. He wants me out of the Bible in the mornings. He wants me out of the Bible in the middle of the day. He wants me out of the Bible in the evenings. And he does not want me getting with the people of God. But when you're in the Bible and you're with the people of God who love the Bible and they're moving forward together, watch out. You'll be on mission together and God uses His people in a a great way. The devil wants God's people away from each other and out of the Word. So I think it's just very interesting in verse 21, the very first thing Paul says that distinguishes the Christian from the non-Christian is this, you have heard the truth, stay in the truth. Expose yourself to the truth. Keep exposing yourself to the truth. Timothy says that we're in desperate, Paul tells Timothy that we're in desperate need of reading the word, meditating on the word, and hearing the word through the preaching and teaching of the word. Let me just say this real quick. Yesterday, the team, we were actually talking about this. In the book that we're currently going through, he talks about a suntan. Now, for me, it's either red, white, or peeling. All right, there's never a suntan. It's either red, white, or peeling. But I can tell you this if I've been out in the sun for a while, even me, even though I used to have red hair, I'll start getting a slight tan. And people look at me and go, hey, you look like you've had some sun. You know what they're assuming? That I've had exposure to the S-U-N. But as soon as I come out of exposure to the S-U-N, guess what goes away? The tan. Now, let me run this by you spiritually. Have you ever taken a bunch of teenagers to summer camp, Christian summer camp? You take them on monday and many of them are backslidden not living for the lord they go to camp separate from the world and are completely exposed to christ and his word all day long you then go pick them up on saturday and they're on fire for god then two weeks later it's like what camp and so some people call those camp decisions but that's not what happened true things happened in their lives that week The problem is, is that within two weeks after coming back from camp, they quit exposing themselves to the S-O-N. It wasn't camp that changed their lives. It was that camp provided an opportunity for them to get nonstop exposure to the S-O-N. Can I say something, adults? It probably wouldn't hurt all of us to go to camp. (laughs) Adults are so busy, especially in our society. We just want a little bit. Preacher, you got 30 minutes. Let's get it done. Let's get in and out. We want limited exposure, and then we can't figure out for the life of us while we're not exemplifying the glory of God like we see in Acts. But it doesn't take long. You start exposing yourself to the Word of God every day by meditating on His Word and sitting under the preaching of the Word of God, and guess what happens? You start getting that S-O-N tan. And it's as simple as that. So if you want to walk in daily victory, can I just encourage you with this? I know everybody's got their own convictions. Every church has its own practice. I'm not getting legalistic on you or anything like that. I'm just saying this. You've got to expose yourself to Christ if Christ is going to work in and through you. So may that be our prayer tonight. Number two, I have to put off the old man. If I'm going to live in daily victory, I have to put off the old man. Look what he says in verse 22. He says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. So Paul says it's as simple as this. You've got to expose yourself to Christ. Keep exposing yourself to Christ. And then if you're going to walk in daily revival, every person has a responsibility who's in Christ to put off the old man. So you still struggle with this old flesh. We've talked about that some this week. But you've got to put it to death. Now, the Bible does not mince words about what God wants you to do with your old flesh. He doesn't want you to pamper it. He wants you to kill it. Jesus says, if your right arm causes you to stumble, don't pamper it. Cut it off. If your right eye causes you to stumble, he says, don't pamper it. Pluck it out. Now, he's not talking physically there. He's talking spiritually. He's saying, whatever it takes to put to death the old nature in you, because you have a new nature, you're a new person, but to put to death the deeds of the flesh, you've got to do it, and you can only do it by the power of the Spirit. Romans 8.13 says, if but by the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the old flesh, you will walk in victory. You'll walk in the Spirit. You'll walk in new life. Romans 6.12 tells us the same thing. Put to death the deeds of the body, for you died with Him, And because your old man died with him on the cross, your new man been raised to walk a newness of life in the resurrection, put these old things to death. When you look at sin, you've got to keep preaching to yourself, I'm dead to that. That has no more power over me. I'm dead to that. I'm a dead man to that. I'm alive to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't allow the way the world thinks to press you into its mold. Put that to death. Put that off. So the Bible is constantly telling us to put to death the deeds of the old. I have to put off the old man. Now, how do you do that? You've got to cut the power off to the old flesh you got to cut the power off to the old flesh. you got to drain it dry. I know I forget one time when I was in middle school, I had a friend, I was over at his house one day, and he had a dirt bike. And I'd never ridden a dirt bike before. And the way the dirt bike worked is you reached up to the handle and you turned the handle that way, and that was, the, that was the gas, that was the accelerator. But he didn't quite explain it to me. And I jumped on that dirt bike, I and mean, he'd been riding around like, man, that looks like a lot of fun. And I'd ridden some four-wheelers, but never a dirt bike. So he goes, you want to try it? I was like, yeah. I said, well, how does it work? Well, he didn't quite explain it all. And man, I jumped on that thing. And he goes, I was like, how do you get it to go? And I'm looking for a pedal. He goes, no, it's up on the handlebar. He goes, you got to turn your hands. Well, I turned my hands. And when I did, I turned too far. And man, that thing took off. Well, then it scared me so bad that I forgot to turn my hand back and let off the throttle. And he he and his parents are screaming, take your hand off the throttle. And I'm like, what throttle?" And so I never forget, I was scared for my life. I'm driving all around this field, hitting potholes, the thing's popping up. They're like, take your hand off the throttle. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. They're like, your hand, your hand. Finally, I'm like, oh. And as soon as I did, it stopped. What does that matter? So many times, even in our mind, we're like, I, I, I want to have victory over sin. I want to quit walking in sin, but we won't take our hand off the throttle. We keep feeding it. Can I I just say something really simple? Like, I love the Andy Griffith show, all right? But six hours of Andy Griffith is not good for me. You say, well, why? That's such a nice, good, moral show. Except for the fact that Andy lies every once in a while. Yeah, but six hours of it, you know what I found? Even six hours of the Andy Griffith show, I'll get up and my affections for heaven are less than they were before I started. That doesn't even begin to compute the stuff that we put in our mind that is completely of this world immoral. And so when the Bible looks at us and says, mortify the deeds of the flesh, what God is saying is, is you've got to cooperate with him and take your hand off the throttle. Quit feeding your flesh the Big Macs of the world. Quit feeding your flesh, because the more you feed it, the stronger it's going to be. God says, drain the power, kill that thing, and feed the spirit. Put off the old man. Now, Romans 6 tells us this real quick. Romans 6 gives us the daily principles. In fact, Romans 6, I believe, is the constitution of victorious Christianity. In Romans 6, Paul says there's three things you've got to do. If you're going to walk in daily revival, you've got to know, you've got to know. Now, what does he say you've got to know? He says, every moment, Christian, you've got to know that your old person was put to death with Christ on the cross. And secondly, you've got to know that you're now a new creation and you have been raised to walk in newness of life. In other words, what Paul is saying is this, just like last night. He said, if you're not careful, you're going to forget what happened to you when you got saved. See, it's easy for us to all say, Jesus died for my sins on the cross and rose again. True. But let me tell you what else happened. You died with Him, you rose with Him. You say, how did that happen? The moment you got saved, what Jesus did for you was applied to you. You're now in Christ. When He died, you died. When He rose again, you rose again. Paul says, if you're not careful, you'll forget that, and you'll walk right into sin. You've got to know that. You've got to keep preaching that to yourself every day. So when you're tempted by the devil or your old flesh... And it seems to be so powerful, you say, whoa, 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 stop the clock. I know something. I know that temptation's real, but I know something that's more real than that. I'm dead to that. And I'll tell you, you start preaching that to yourself, and all of a sudden you're like, we're done. And you turn away from the temptation. Uh, Try it tomorrow. The next time you're tempted, instead of going, oh, i got to do it, i got to do it, just stop and go, talk out loud, just be flat out silly, it doesn't matter. You know what, temptation? I'm dead to that. And watch what will happen. You'll go, yeah. Yeah. By faith, I'm dead to that. I don't think I'm going to do it. Man, I'm so scared of what somebody thinks about me. That's the fear of man. Wait a second. I'm dead to that. Mark, you're dead to that. What are you worried? Stop it. That old you, that's been crucified. You've now been raised to walk in newness of life. The last time I checked, the resurrected Christ is scared of no one. And I'm clothed in his resurrected victory. I'm dead to that. So we got to know. But here's the second thing Paul says. we got to reckon. Isn't that a great southern word? you got to reckon. It's in the Bible. Paul was a southerner. Rob Gribben, you love that, don't you? Amen. In Romans 6.11, he says this. Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. The word reckon is an accounting term, which means count it to be true. What Paul's saying is, is if you're going to walk at 3 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, which is a Thursday, tomorrow at 3 o'clock and Thursday afternoon, no matter what's going on in your life, if you're going to walk in revival, you've got to know who you now are in Christ, what's happened for you that it's applied to you, but then you've got to not just know it, but by faith you've got to reckon it to be true. So in other words, what Jesus Christ accomplished 2,000 years before I was ever born, I now, 2,000 years later, in 2022, have got to reckon what he accomplished for me to be true for me in this next moment. So he says, reckon yourself dead to sin, alive to Christ. It is true. Consider it to be true. Grab onto that by faith. And when you do that, number three, got to yield. Romans 6 says, yield your instruments as members of righteousness to God. Now, what Romans 6 tells us is this. Everybody yields. We're all professional yielders. So many times Christians will look at you and say, man, I'm finding it so hard to surrender to God. Well, I love the way somebody put it one time. A Christian came to him and said, I just don't want to surrender to God. I don't want to yield. Why is that? Well, I'm scared if I yield to God, he's going to make me go to Africa or Europe or be a missionary or he's going to ruin my life. And the person said this. They said, Do you believe God's all-powerful? Mm-hmm. Do you believe God's in control? Yeah. Do you believe God can do anything that God wants to do? Yes. Well, why would God have to wait till you yield to Him to ruin your life? If He wanted to ruin your life, He could do it today. So that's a big lie. And here's what Romans 6 says. Romans 6 says we are professional yielders, meaning we always have known how to yield. It's just that before Christ, we kept yielding to sin. But now that we're in Christ, we've learned to yield to a new master who's a master of freedom, the slave of righteousness. We now yield to the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not that we can't surrender. It's that we've got to redirect our surrender. So Paul says, if you're going to walk in victory every day, you've got to know, you've got to reckon, and then yield to the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, as we wrap this up and bring this to a close, here's the final thing Paul says, final two things. He says, I've got to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. If you're going to live in victory moment by moment, notice what verse 23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You've got to renew. Now that goes back to uh, Sunday morning. We talked about meeting with Jesus daily. One of the reasons it's so important to meditate in God's Word is because when you do, you renew your mind. And the battle is in the mind, and you've got to take every thought captive by God's power to Christ. But how do you do that? You've got to keep remodeling the way you think. That happens as you behold God in His Word and the Spirit of God begins to change you as you renew your mind to think like Christ. The word renew there means to make fresh and develop your mind to take every thought captive by God's power by kicking out the old thinking and feeding on the new. The Bible screams this. So one of the reasons it's so important to keep exposing yourself to Christ in His Word daily and sitting under the preaching and teaching of God's Word with the people of God is that when we do that, something supernatural happens. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God. He illumines our minds to see Christ in His Word, and our minds are renewed. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, we act and speak. So you say, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Well, how do you change the heart? It's got to be renewed. And so whenever I open up my Bible, it doesn't matter what time of the day I open up my Bible, when I truly open the Bible and I say no to the world, no to self, and I say, God, what are you saying here? Instantly, He begins to change the way I think. And when my thinking is renewed and made fresh, now I begin to look like Him because I'm thinking the way He thinks. So the battle's right here. So Paul says, you've got to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that's going to lead to transformation. Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us that leads to being transformed. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you say, I want to be more like Jesus. Well, you can't apart from renewing your mind. And Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells as you yield yourself as a living sacrifice, you renew your mind in the Word. It says you will be transformed. I love what this Greek word means. Transformation there literally means a supernatural change that occurs after you behold Jesus and you've been with him. I love that. You remember that time where the Pharisees and the Acts looked at some of the disciples and they said, Man, we've been listening to these guys for a little while and like Jesus has already died and like gone on. But these guys are still running around and they're preaching him and they watch him for a little while and they said, These guys look like they've been with that Jesus. Well, you know what? Tomorrow, somebody ought to say that to you and me. Because as we beheld Jesus in His Word, the glory of God in the morning, and begin to walk with Him, make our home with Him throughout the day, as our minds are being renewed, He transforms us in this, a transformation that occurs after you've been with Him. And, th- and because you've been with Him, and then you go out and you walk before a given world, they're like... I don't know who you are, but I'd like to find out more. And I don't know much about Jesus, but what I do know about Him, you sure look like you've been with Him. That's the spiritual transformation that God wants to do in the believer as we behold Him through renewal. Final thing, and we'll close. Paul ends this passage by saying, if you want to walk in daily victory, you have to put on the new man. It's not just good enough to put off the old. It's not just good enough to put off sinning. You've got to put on Christ and fruitfulness. Let the Holy Spirit bear fruit in your life. Notice what he says in verse 24. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. In other words, what this means is that you've got to be clothed with Christ by sinking into his garment. When you look up the Greek word for put on, that's what it means. It means you put on like a robe or you put on a shirt and you sink into it. By the way, when it's wintertime, Don't you love when it's wintertime and it's cold outside? Maybe there's a little chill in the house and you crawl up in bed and you get under your favorite blankets, like flannel blankets in the wintertime, and you just kind of sink into bed. Well, that's what he's saying. He's saying you've got to put on Christ moment by moment and just sink into his garment. Two ways that happens. The moment you get saved, you were given his positional righteousness. You've been made righteous in him. Now, you've got to walk in experiential righteousness. You've got to keep appropriating the garment and wearing it. Now, it's yours. You have it. You've been made righteous. But by faith, you've got to keep reckoning yourself dead to sin and sink into His righteousness moment by moment. You've got to keep putting on Christ. Sinking into who He is. Appropriating Him by faith. So, you say, five months from now. Am I gonna walk in victory? You can. Hey, three years from now, are you gonna be walking in victory? You can. Well, how do you do it? Paul just showed us. You say, well, you know, that's kind of a lot of information. I'm not gonna remember all that. Yes, you will. You know why? You you and I make thousands of choices every day. Most of them are by habit. We don't even think about them. This is very small. And what I've learned is in my own life, as you as you begin to rehearse these godly principles, these biblical principles, they will start becoming second nature for you. And you start preaching this to yourself all throughout the day and appropriating it by faith. And the next thing you know, it just becomes your habitual life. That's why Paul said, guess what my daily habit is? I've been... Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.